Hello, Oasis. I'm going to be honest, I have no clue how to respond to that video. But hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight for one last time this year in 2023. My name's Emily, and a couple of you have gotten to know me, but actually this week I have now lived in Brookings for three months. So three months ago, three months ago I moved here to work with this amazing ministry and to get to know you guys, but I thought I, I know I'm supposed to talk about Christmas, but I just wanted to tell a story. Before I moved here to Brookings, I was actually working for a ministry out in Colorado. I was working as a youth pastor, and our youth group was mainly middle school kids. And I don't know if you have ever hung out with a middle school kid. They are weird. And somehow my youth group, they, they were bizarre. Like, they were beyond weird. And one of my favorite stories to tell is one morning I am setting up for youth on Sunday, and I have this sixth grade girl come up to me. She's maybe like four feet tall, maybe weighs 60 pounds. And she comes up to me. She's like, Emily, can I show you something? And whenever a middle school kid asks to show you something, there's only one thing that you say. And it's absolutely. And so I say, absolutely. And she starts digging around in this bag that is like twice the size of her. And I am not joking. She pulls out a whole cob of corn. I think I have a photo of it. She not only brought one cob of corn, she brought three. And she's just looking at me. And I don't know what to do in this moment. Like I went to ministry school and I took classes and I read books by really smart people. And I'm just trying to think back to the chapter about what to do when a kid brings corn to youth group. And I can, I must have missed that week because I have no clue what to do. And so she's just staring at me. And I just say the first thing that comes to mind, which you know is not going to be great. And so I say, wow, it's so yellow. (laughs) This was my life in Colorado. This was week in and week out. And the scary thing is that, you know, I didn't have a kid bringing corn every week, but every week it was just something new. And, you know, this is youth ministry. And all of you people out here that are teachers, are studying to be teachers, are volunteer at GSM, There are crowns in heaven for you. The Lord sees your work. You are faithful. You matter. You are changing the lives of weird children. And we love you. But one of the most challenging parts of my job was figuring out how to preach to these kids. I had learned how to preach to adults. You put a bunch of bullet points on a screen, add in a quote by an old famous smart person. And if you're being honest, you don't know what the quote means. But it sounds good, so you write it down. Kids are a bit different. They don't really like quotes. They really don't care about facts. And unless you have an interesting story, they really don't care what you have to say. And so every week, I'd come into the office and I'd be like, all right, gotta find a good story. And so we would look at the story of God's creation, how God made the world. We would look at Noah and his ark, how God flooded the earth, but spared Noah and his family. We looked at Moses, how God raised Moses as a leader to rescue his people how he provided for his people, even in the wilderness. We looked at David and and different kings and what made them good kings and what made them bad kings. And then we kind of get to Christmas. And I'm not saying that the story of Christmas isn't great, but when I look at these other stories, the way the biblical authors wrote them had plot. It had character development. There was imagery, there was figurative language. The way the text was written made it sound really interesting. It made it sound like a storyteller had written it down. And tonight we're looking at Luke chapter two. 
And this is one of the most famous passages about Christmas. And when we come to Luke chapter two, it doesn't always read the same. It reads more like an incident report rather than a story. And year after year, we hear it over and over and over again. And for me, when I come to this text, I often show up a bit bored. I often show up assuming that I know what's about to happen next. And I often allow myself to disregard the story because it's not told by a storyteller. But I think that's the point. The Gospel of Luke is written by a guy named Luke. And Luke is a doctor. He is investigating the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Other gospel writers had recorded what Jesus had done, but Luke wanted to write a gospel that used eyewitness accounts in order to prove the truth of Jesus's ministry in his life. And so Luke has spent his time gathering information from different people. And so his account reads like a news anchor report rather than imagery and metaphors and comparisons that can't be measured. Luke is providing us the facts and the details. And so tonight, I recognize it might not be the most exciting text to read, and that's okay. But I ask that you lean in, because Luke isn't just telling us a good story. Luke is telling us the truth, the truth that God, out of his compassion, has come down to dwell with us. And so starting in verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there is no place for them in the inn. So this is the beginning of Luke's investigative report. It's incredibly straightforward. Luke is establishing basic details that can be measured. He is showing us who was involved in the story, where they are, what time, not only the time, like the month of the year it's happening, but under whose kingship and whose reign that it is happening. But more importantly, Luke is communicating to us that this is the moment in which God is fulfilling promises from long ago. We see in the Old Testament that there were prophecies that a Messiah was going to come, and one of them actually comes from the book of Isaiah. If you pop up Isaiah 9, 6, it says, for us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this opening section, as Luke tells us that Christ has been born, he is communicating that God is faithful. The Messiah is here, and it's Jesus Christ. But if we think about it, there's actually a problem. We need a Messiah because we have a spiritual debt. We all have sin and brokenness in our life that needs to be restored. And Isaiah is prophesying this. He's saying someone is going to come to rescue us and to be that hero for us. Someone is going to remove that barrier and restore that relationship with God. Someone is going to do that for us. But Luke is telling us that God provides this as a baby. And I'm like, well, this can't be right. 
This baby is called Mighty God, and he's going to come as a child who is completely dependent on his mom and on his family for survival. This baby who is called Prince of Peace, he's gonna come not as royalty, but as a child who lives in a family that is poor and as a family that actually lives under an oppressive Roman government, this baby isn't even going to offer salvation for another 30 years. How on earth is this the Messiah? How on earth does this solve our problem of sin? The only thing that Luke has told me this far is that I'm still stuck. A Messiah has been born, but I am still stuck with the problem of sin. We got to keep reading. Starting in verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, we got to recap a little bit. So we're stuck in our sin, and Jesus Christ is born. He is this Messiah as a baby. And heaven is in the field, excited, celebrating, rejoicing, and worshiping God for the provision of this baby. This can't be right. Sin is still here. Redemption has not come Yet they're rejoicing in a field. The Messiah is supposed to come and make all things new. He's supposed to free the prisoners. He's supposed to heal the brokenhearted, to preach good news to the poor. A baby can't do that. A baby can't walk. A baby cannot talk. I do not know how a baby is going to preach. Yet heaven is rejoicing in a field. And I feel like in this moment, I feel like the angels got it wrong. I feel like they stepped out on the wrong scene, really confidently, but definitely in the wrong place. I feel like this is not the moment that we're supposed to be worshiping and rejoicing. We're still stuck. Yet this is the moment where they are worshiping and rejoicing. Because for God to enter in the middle of the story is for God to enter the mess. For God to enter in the middle is for God to enter the mess. And this is why heaven is singing and worshiping God. Because this baby that lays in the manger, this mighty God has not just come to save us from sin, but he's actually going to experience life like us and life with us. He doesn't just show up at the end of the story, but he comes in the middle. This mighty God, he will cry. He will laugh. He'll scrape his knee. He'll grow up with a family with siblings and cousins and weird uncles. He will experience life like us. He will enter the places of brokenness and experience it firsthand. And every problem that we face is confronted with the image of a God who out of his love and compassion chooses to enter brokenness. One of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, John, writes this, that the word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. To see Jesus dwell with his people is to see the glory and the power of God firsthand. Our God is not seated in heaven on a throne, ignorant of the cries of his people. Our God sees us. He sees you, each and every one of you. And out of his love and compassion, he came to experience life with us and life like us. And this is why the angels sing. Because even though we're stuck, the glory of God is displayed in the baby in the manger. But the celebration of this miraculous birth is not just for the angels, it's not just for the shepherds, it's for everyone. The angels instruct the shepherds of where to go and where they're gonna find Jesus, and they are instructed with one thing to do, to behold. And I realize this is not a word we use a lot, but to behold means to not just look, but to truly see. To not just take a quick glance, but to soak in every single detail. The shepherds are not asked to just direct their eyes towards Jesus, they are asked to be intentionally aware, to notice this baby that lays in a manger. And as Luke finishes his report, he does so with the shepherds beholding. So if we turn back to verse 15, Luke goes on to say that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds go see this baby for themselves and they won't just glance, but they will gaze. It's like they're a sponge that's just soaking in every single detail every little ounce, every little glimmer of what they are looking at. They're just soaking it all in. They are actively imprinting this image of God in their heart and in their mind so they can hold on to it and cling to it for the rest of their lives. Have you ever had a moment or a thing in your life that you behold? For me last year when I lived in Colorado, it was the mountains. And I have a photo for you of my view. So I lived an hour uh, east of Estes Park, an hour north of Denver, and every morning, this was my view. Do you guys see that tall pointy mountain in the building? That's, did I just say tall pointing mountain in the building? Man, gosh, gotta work on that. This tall pointy mountain in the middle, that's called Long's Peak, it's a 14,000 foot mountain, and every morning on my way to work, I would drive up this mountain and I would come to this stoplight that was terribly long, it was awful. I had to plan an extra 10 minutes depending on if I like hit it the wrong way. And so I'd just come to this light and I'd sit there and I would just look at this entire front range. From where I lived you could see um, even more mountains than this across the horizon. And every morning I'd come and I would look at Long's Peak and I would actively behold the mountains. What do you intentionally behold? Maybe for some of us, it's that first sip of coffee in the morning 
Maybe it's the sound when we're up late with our friends playing games and we just hear them laughing and those moments where we just share joy. Maybe for some of us, it's what God does in nature, the clouds, the sunsets. And as we think of what the shepherds are doing, they are intentionally taking notice of Jesus, not because he's a super cute chubby baby, I'm sure that helped, but because he's the sign that God has not left his people. And when I think about this moment, I wonder how bittersweet it is. Because they can't just stay there forever. Mary and Joseph were traveling, they're not in their hometown. The shepherds have to return to their field. At some point, they're gonna have to leave. I wonder how intensely they were looking at Jesus because they did not wanna forget what he looked like, what this image of God's faithfulness looked like. Beholding for the shepherds became an act of remembering, became preparation for remembering all that God had done and will do in their life. Beholding is an active preparation for us and remembering. And I remember the last few weeks I lived in Colorado when I knew I would be leaving and I was a little sad. Being from Kansas, um, my usual scenery was dead grass and to live near the mountains was incredible. And I remember I was getting ready to leave and I was like, all right, I'm gonna spend as much time near the mountains as I can. And the last few weeks I was there, the Canadian wildfires were kind of ruining all of that. And so I have a photo for you. So this is Denver. This is what the smoke from the wildfires caused. If you go back to one photo, this is Denver on a normal day. The mountains were just gone. And with that amount of smoke, it was common for me to get alerts on my phone that said, please don't go outside. The air quality is too bad. And I was just pretty discouraged. And I remember leaving Colorado, I was headed back to Kansas, and Kansas is just straight west, and the more you drive east, excuse me, directions, Kansas is straight east of Colorado, and the more you drive east, the further and further away you get from the mountains, and I had about a two-hour time limit before the mountains would disappear. And I remember waking up that morning, and there was still some smoke. The mountains weren't clear. It was still pretty hazy. And I just kept checking my rearview mirror, like hoping that it would clear up, hoping to just get one last look and one last glimmer. And the time came when I entered the western side of Kansas and I was back in the land of dead grass. And I was not super happy about it. All I had left of the mountains were the memories, the hiking trips, the ski trips, the trail runs. When I would work late and I would get to see the sunset over the mountains, that's all I had. And in that moment, I had to remember. I remembered that just because I was in a different state, the mountains didn't grow legs and walk away, but that they're still there. They weren't dependent upon me. I had to remember all the mornings when I would come to the stoplight and I would look at Long's Peak and I'd show up to the stoplight tired and exhausted and honestly not sure how to get through the rest of the day. But when I would look at Long's Peak, when I would look at a mountain that is 14,000 feet tall, that somehow still stands there and isn't shaken and isn't moved, I'd be reminded that how much more would God allow me to stand tall? How much more would he provide for me? 
I remembered how the seasons changed the way the mountains looked when I lived out in Colorado. The summer, they were incredibly green. In the fall, the trees would change colors and the trails would be so fun to see with all the color. And in the winter and the spring, the snow would blanket them. And even though they might have looked different on the outside, it didn't change the fact that they were mountains. And I don't know when I'm gonna see them again. I don't know when I'll see Long's Peak again. It might not be in the summer where I left, but I know that no matter what they look like, they're gonna be the same. And even as I live in Brookings, where there's not even a hill in sight, I still remember them. I remember how the trails I used to run in Colorado will curve the same way that my routes here will curve when I run. For the shepherds, beholding was recognizing that this moment would end. They would need to be able to look back and pinpoint this moment of God's faithfulness for the rest of their lives. And when we come to Christmas, it's really easy to behold once. Like we're in a season where the the trees and the birth of Jesus is just always around and is always talked about in this month of December. And so it's really easy to remember this. But what about January and February? What about this summer? We need to cling to the faithfulness of God. And I'm asking you tonight, what will you behold? Whether it's clear as day, or whether there is smoke in your way, what are you gonna behold? Is it beholding God's unchanging nature as schedules and seasons change? Is it beholding God's closeness as we enter a period where we're not having oasis and we're not gathered here? Is it beholding God's power to heal, to restore all things, all sickness, all hurting, all pain? What will you behold? And for some of us in this room, the faithfulness of God is clear as day. And that's amazing. And I ask you right now to hold to that. Take notice of it. Because there's going to come a time in your life where it's hard to see and you're gonna need to be able to pinpoint this moment right here where God has been providing, where God has been unchanging, where he has been who he says he is. And for some of us in this room, there's a lot of smoke in the way. It's really hard to see God. And I know what that's like. And my encouragement to you is that God has been faithful then and he is still going to be faithful now. Whether you feel it, whether you see it, he is moving, he is working. He has not left you. He has not forgotten you. He has heard your cry. He is with you. My encouragement for you, if the smoke is in the way, to look back. What moment do you need to cling to where you've seen God's faithfulness? Will you behold Will you live a life of beholding, a life of remembering, not just this moment where Christ comes, but the moments where Christ has been faithful through our whole entire life? Will you guys pray with me?